Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of Carnatic Conundrums. My name is Neha Krishnamachari. Season 2 is beginning with our COVID-19 series, where I'll be speaking to diaspora artists of the Carnatic music community starting here in the U.S. I'm here today with Rupa Mahadevan, a wonderful Carnatic vocalist based in New York City. Rupa is known for her versatility, her brilliant work as a solo artist, and her crossover band, Rupa and Flux. Welcome, Rupa. Thanks for doing this. I'm happy to be here. So going off of the theme of speaking to local New York artists and um, figuring out the impact of COVID-19 on you as an artist personally and just the greater New York community, I guess I'll just jump into it. So I'm wondering what your current situation is, if you could explain that a little bit, um, if you are currently in New York and how you're situating to some of the adjustments related to coronavirus. Yeah, so, um, you know, COVID-19 has had a really significant impact um, on artists um, worldwide, really, um, and especially in New York City. Um, uh, it's, um, you know, just by virtue of the kinds of work that we do, um, performing on stages, um, to large gatherings of people, um, you know, a lot of the work has, has essentially been canceled for the foreseeable future. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of the thrill that you get of being able to share art with different types of audiences in different parts of the country, <laughs> um, certainly that's kind of an appeal of the work. And now that's for sure something that, um, has been sort of taken away. And so I think it's been really tough kind of, uh, from a practical perspective for a lot of artists, but also just emotionally and, um, you know, in terms of your own sense of validation, kind of refiguring your, your place in all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of me, I actually got a little bit lucky, uh, because, um, I managed to escape New York in the nick of time <laughs> and come out to the Bay area, um, where I grew up and where my parents live. So, um, that's where I am now. Um, and, and part of the reason I did that too was because I, you know, I saw that a lot of my in, in-person concerts in New York were being canceled. Um, I was also going to be doing a lot of touring in April, um, with, um, Ashwini Ramaswamy, a dancer, and then also with Sunny Jane, uh, for his new album release. And there were a bunch of concerts being kind of booked through that, um, so, you know, there really wasn't um, necessarily an advantage to me sitting in New York. Um, and um, here I get to um, eat home cooked food <laughs> um, and, you know, have a little bit more flexibility. Um, I mostly sit in my room. Um, we're in a suburban, you know, two story house, but I also have like a backyard to sit in once in a while or um, I can kind of walk around the neighborhood if I need to. So it's a little bit easier, I think, to kind of move through the day um, versus being in a smaller um, apartment. And I'm wondering when was your last performance? Was it in March? And at any point in time during that performance, did you think, Hmm, this might be the last one for a while? <laughs> That's a good question. Actually. Um, I was so lucky. The, the, the last two shows were really, really memorable ones for me. Um, one was at the Rubin museum mm -hmm. um, in New York city with my crossover band, Rupa and Flux. And I actually made somewhat of a joke on stage, you know, thanking people for taking the risk um, of coming out um, and sitting in an enclosed space and, and watching a show. Um, but that particular show had a lot of energy and um, I felt really good about it. And, you know, 
as soon as we came backstage, um, we were all like, you know, we did a little like group huddle, the band, and we were like, oh my God, we got a tour with this. And it just felt things, everything felt kind of right in a way that I think felt slightly different than before. Like the music gelled. I was working with new people who I hadn't worked with before. And there was a lot of like, um, you know, palpable chemistry that was felt. And so I was ready after that concert. In fact, literally two days after that, I had sent some emails to people being like, okay, let's start booking this, <laughs> you know, let's, let's get some things going for the rest of the year in terms of travel. And um, so I, in a, in a way, I'm, I'm kind of lucky that I was able to have that kind of experience because that does give me hope for when hopefully all of this takes a little bit more of a positive turn that maybe there is potential to perform uh, Rupan Flux again um in 2020 crossing fingers um and then th later that weekend i was able to uh, perform at national sawdust again mm -hmm. in new york um with uh, members of brooklyn raga massive um, as part of a month dedicated to women who have been influenced by indian classical music and that was actually kind of a tribute show to lakshmi shankar as well as many female artists who have come before us um and so that felt very special too and, you know, I was working with some of my dear friends in the New York uh, City scene. Um, and, and so that, too, kind of felt like um, just kind of a, a sacred a moment to celebrate kind of music and women and, and, and community, um, especially now in retrospect, given that that was kind of kind of vanish <laughs> uh, for some time. So those two were kind of my last performances, really. Um, I have to say, though, at a time especially for artists when there aren't a lot of silver linings, it kind of does feel like these last two performances of yours were incredibly special. I mean, not only did you perform at the Rubin and National Sawdust, you had great chemistry and camaraderie with your co-artists and you had the opportunity to celebrate such wonderful musicians and such wonderful women. So perhaps it wasn't the worst last performance to have had probably in for the foreseeable future yeah it's it's been yeah I, I, that's like a nice positive way to spin it i think for sure um i definitely have a lot of gratitude for um just the serendipity of the timing right of those shows so i'm wondering as it's mid-march or so um how are you preempting a lot of your show cancellations a lot of times as an artist, it's hard. Um, a gig might be up in the air, it might be 50-50, and it's really hard to know when you can officially say, hey, this isn't happening. I know that the choir you direct, Navatha Music Collective, had a really big program coming up. Um, I think the expected audience was about 300 people. So that must have been pretty up in the air, and it must have been hard to decide when to really cancel things and how to coordinate that with a larger group. We had started actually to move to virtual rehearsals uh, when it started to become clear that it wasn't a smart thing to gather in groups. Um, and, you know, a lot of members were like, are you sure this is going to happen? Should we even rehearse? But, you know, you have to assume the show's on. And so you have to keep preparing, right? You can't, um, and especially like group stuff, like a choir, mm -hmm. it just involves the involvement of so many people and the commitment. And uh, we were kind of thinking ambitiously in terms of lighting and, maybe even doing some like Broadway style movement on stage while singing Karnatic Kirtis. So we were, you know, we were trying to think big um, it, with all the constraints. Um, 
And so, you know, in a way, at some point, I think there was a little tinge of relief when it got canceled because some members, too, were a bit concerned about, like, putting themselves out there at risk um, in terms of infection and things like that, um, just being in the hall and then also meeting up for rehearsals leading up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, a lot of questions for us were, like, are there any, like, sort of legal parameters around, like, you know, as an artist allowed to cancel, even if a venue is not canceling, um, kind of what are the terms of that? What is in the contract? And so often we don't even read these contracts, right? Oh, when we yeah. sign with um, a host. Um, so so we started kind of thinking about things that we probably wouldn't have thought of before. Something I wanted to touch on is, I mean, something that you mentioned before as well, and it was kind of about the emotional impact of the quarantine and just your shows being canceled. Um, so I wanted to know, like, you felt such a high after these events. And I know you had some tours planned in the future. But do you feel like any of that momentum is unfortunately lost? And, you know, if so, like, what are you doing to kind of keep it going? Because it's one thing for as an individual, for you to go through stuff as an artist and maybe have your ups and downs, but it there's a greater impact when it involves a group, right? Yeah, I think um, uh, I'm hopeful overall. And I feel that, um, you know, so much, I think freelance life in general is one uh, in which you so, somewhat become accustomed to volatility, right? Like you could have five shows in two weeks and then no shows for another two weeks. So so in some ways, um that's not as new, I think, to freelancers and particularly artists. Um, I think, though, your the momentum is the right word to use, right? Because as there's something to be said about like rehearsing regularly with people in a room, right? Um, there's something to be said about just kind of the the motivation that you you get by interacting with other artists um, and seeing them, or even attending other concerts, mm-hmm. um, which you're not able to do as much now. Um, and and then, you know, working towards a common goal with other people. So the Ashwini Ramaswamy gig, the last time we kind of came together was in November in Minneapolis. And so this was going to be part of sort of the beginning of a broader tour. Um, and this was pretty much a group of all full-time musicians um, as well as uh, full-time dancers, um, kind of from the Karnatic community as well as um, classical uh, new music. We had, um, someone who, who's actually a DJ. Um, Ashwini's a Bharatanatyam dancer, but then also, um, dancers who are uh, influenced by, you know, Israeli Gaga styles, West African, modern, all kinds of things. So it's kind of a very cool coming together of, um, kind of a motley crew of artists. And we had a great time working together in November. And we were going to begin with a performance three nights at the Joyce in New York, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, one of the premier dance institutions. And so there was a lot of, I think, build up towards what this could be. One, just in terms of bringing, you know, this production to people, but then also just the camaraderie and the fun that we have. And like, there's no dearth of jokes and <laughs> um, silliness when we meet. So I think there was some sadness there too, that that, we, that couldn't be experienced. Um, so I will say though, I guess the, the silver lining is that this gives artists more time to do kind of their skill building work, the internal processing, you know, 
sitting in your room and trying to be creative work and <laughs> inspiration often can't be scheduled, you know, um, it just kind of comes to you. But I think this is a chance to kind of slow down a bit and um, give yourself more opportunities to create. Um, so that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. Um, so I'm doing a lot more like practice than I usually do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going back to my old like drives and, you know, listening to old Krithis that I've not sung in a really, really long time, trying to brush those up. Um, I'm restarting Skype classes with my guru in India. Um, I, you know, and we're still meeting and MC is still meeting virtually uh, and now at the music collective for our weekly rehearsals. We've even talked about maybe adding a one day a week um, just because this feels like time for um, kind of digging, diving deep again into each of our, you know, repertoires and skill sets and things like that. So in a way, I also think there's a lot of opportunity here. for kind of um growth too you know so there is panic there's sadness there's fear um all kinds of things mixed in but i think if you can reserve some time in the day for artistic practice and actually seeing that as part of a healing right a part a, a, a way of coping um i think that's the, the most you can ask for really mm-hmm. I mean, I think the way that you said it, finding some silver linings is is great because I almost feel like as a New Yorker and as an artist in New York, you're kind of getting the break that you always say that you want and you're going to take like on the weekends. Oh, I'm going to go back and review this song. I'm going to go back and watch a performance. I'm just going to take 30 minutes just to do vocal exercises for no reason. Um, you, I feel like we always say that we're going to do these things, but we don't necessarily get to kind of like, hey, maybe I should actually get to some of those things on the bucket list. Exactly. This is like that residency in upstate New York that you would have applied for to like spend a week locked away in a cabin somewhere um, to practice or, you know, whatever, create things. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally. I, I agree. I agree. And, you know, obviously it's complicated. This is not vacation for anyone, just given how dire it is. And I think as the pandemic worsens, we're all going to be more and more hit um, by relatives and things and friends um, in, a, in, a, in a really direct way. And so I'm not at all sugarcoating this to be um, to, to be not serious, you know, um, and to reduce the, the kind of, you know, very direct impact it's making on a lot of people's daily lives, not to mention all the people that are working on the front lines um, in hospitals and things like that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a very interesting time. And I'm wondering, as an artist and as a musician, one of the biggest direct impacts to you and members of the community must be financially. You had mentioned Mm -hmm. that, yeah, sometimes it's really hard to do this long-range planning because you might have five performances in two weeks, but then you're not really sure what's going to happen even in the summer, let alone the fall or next year. So that must be difficult as well, to some extent. It is. And I think that's the primary stress. Um, uh, for, you know, people in so, so many industries, um, the restaurant industry, sports, uh, all kinds of entertainment, um, is, you know, you don't have income anymore. And so, uh, I have, I feel very grateful that in some ways I have like a teachable skill, right? Classical music is, um, has a kind of pedagogy to it. And, um, so I'm, I was teaching before and now I'm kind of, doubling down on that and even offering like twice a week for some students. Um, it's been interesting because when kind of the, the curfew hit, um, it was actually spring break mm-hmm. for school districts. 
Um, and a lot of kids actually weren't really sure what was happening because schools were kind of scrambling, trying to figure out how to move everything to online, things like that. So um, I was actually encouraging parents to do twice a week class. I was like, this is a great opportunity to like, you know, really advance your skills. I remember growing up summers would be where I kind of really accelerated, you know, because um, you didn't have all the other time pressures of school and other things. So um, I was kind of hearkening back to my own summers where like, you know, I learned like 30 Varnams and <laughs> really felt like I kind of went to the, another level in my own training. Um, so I've been kind of suggesting to parents that kids, you know, um, put a little bit more time towards their music training um, th at this time. Um, so yeah, I'm doing a lot of Skype, <laughs> a lot of, well, I rotate. So I do Google video and then that hasn't worked that well. So then I move to Skype. And then when that doesn't work, we try Facebook messenger. Uh, and then now I'm, I've, I've figured out how to use zoom without having an account, which I think I probably should have figured out way before, but, um, yeah, so I spend a lot, a lot of time um, on a, on a, you know, in front of the computer, uh, singing Lambo Dara in Malari. <laughs> so I'm from that, I'm guessing that you probably have a lot of younger students who might be um, pretty early on in their musical careers and learning. Is there any unique challenge of teaching young kids remotely and keeping their attention span up? Yeah, I mean, um, so I do have a range. I, you know, I teach adults also, but um, uh, yeah, the kids, I actually, it's, it's actually kind of been nice, I have to say, as tiring as it is to kind of sit in front of a screen, which I think is sort of like becoming a, a lot of people's lives now, whether it's work calls or, you know, your social breaks or whatever, people are like in front of Zoom all the time now. But um, I think one nice thing is that I feel more connected to people. Uh, because, you know, unlike those that have like, uh, nine to five jobs where you have meetings with your boss or your team, like, I don't have a team, I don't have a boss. So in some ways, this is my, you know, work community. Um, so it's, it's been nice to kind of have a window into other people's lives. And we start every class with like, okay, how's it going? You know, um, uh, obvious, obvious talks about COVID and kind of the fallout of that. And just making connections, like human connections. That's been actually a really nice part of the teaching experience. Um, I think in a weird way, you know, there are definitely issues in terms of connectivity and uh, the sound breaking up here and there. Definitely rhythm doesn't sync as well mm -hmm. across things. But I will say that there's a certain kind of intimacy that I'm picking up on that's maybe only possible via these online platforms and maybe because of the moment we're in, like it feels kind of different to be sharing sound with other people, you know? Um, and I do find that the kids are actually pretty focused. Um, I, I'm, I'm picking up like a lot of earnestness on the side of these kids um, to kind of like, I think maybe do something a bit differently than they have been. I think they get the fact that, this is a really different kind of moment. And um, it's funny because like one of my students is like, oh my, I'm loving it because she basically moved to her cousin's house out in the suburbs and now they just play all day. So it's like kind of interesting. Um, but it's intimate also in the sense that it's literally like there's nowhere else to look, right? You can only look in the screen. And so it's like my face and their face. It's very, uh, um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, I, I am actually starting to enjoy it in a way that I didn't think I would before. Um, uh, 
So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 and I'm actually thankful in retrospect that I started teaching a bit alongside performing because mm-hmm. that kind of gave me a base on which to build now. Um, and it's certainly how I'm paying rent, you know, like there's no other way that I'm covering my expenses. I mean, kind of diving into that a little bit more, a lot of the venues that we spoke about, like National Sawdust, um, the Joyce, the Rubin, they are incredible institutions. And I'm guessing that they probably have a decent endowment or, um, you know, benefactors who are going to help them continue to sustain themselves as tough as these times are. But one of the unique things about being an artist in New York, especially a musician, is that you get to perform at these local venues, these smaller bars um, and theaters, which I'm sure you've had plenty of experiences at. And I'm kind of wondering what you think is going to happen to them. Are you scared? I know I'm a little uncertain if I can go back to my favorite like live music spot right now. But you know, mm. as an artist who has connections and a relationship with a lot of these owners um and you know creative directors like how are you feeling right now about that that's interesting i you know i haven't thought too much about that i know some venues are doing you know because it's like the curators are struggling too right so artists are struggling so are curators i mean they have a lot of overhead to cover whether a show happens or not they need to pay their rent right they need to pay their staff um uh, and all the administrative kind of um, resources uh, that are that are involved in hosting concerts, so they're struggling to. I know um, there's some talks of kind of advocating for curators who had who had to cancel a show of maybe giving still giving a percentage of artists like a percentage of of the original fees to artists mm-hmm. even for old events. Um, kind of renegotiating contracts so that our, you know, events just get postponed, not canceled. Um, and then maybe even like supporting artists through like online virtual platforms, like, you know, hosting concerts for them, um, that way it's, it's tricky. I think it's all so new. I I honestly don't have a good barometer for how it's going to look. I know that, um, Barbez is one organization that, has a fundraiser going on right now, like a crowdfunding campaign, mm-hmm. um, kind of Barbez in Brooklyn. And then, you know, um, as a director of the Navathan Music Collective, I also sit in on the staff meetings at Navathan. So I know that they're also kind of thinking about how to re kind of put everything online now. So they're starting to put old concerts online for people to like pay a, a modest fee and be able to watch. Yeah. Um, they're trying to do more workshops by artists. Um, virtual classes, things like that. So I'm also brainstorming ways in which I can maybe do that on my own as well. Um, So it sounds like from what you're saying that like many COVID-19 related outcomes, um, the plight of smaller performance spaces and venues around the city is just unknown. And it looks like we'll just have to see and pray for the best. So moving on to my next question um, although I think I know the answer to this question, I do have to ask you at a time like this, when, you know, you are feeling a little bit of the financial instability due to cancellation of shows, um, and your tours, um, do you ever regret being a full-time artist and to kind of to give our listeners a little context, you weren't a full-time artist for a long time. You have always had a musical career and 
been very rooted and grounded in that, but you did have a day job for quite a bit, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. And actually, it was in public health policy. <laughs> so um, I don't, so regret, you're right, is not the right word to use, but um, I, I do not at all regret this decision um, to be a full time artist. But, you know, even my mom the other day was like, didn't you apply for some job in San Mateo County Public Health <laughs> a few years ago? Maybe. Do you want to reach out to them? Um, I I have been thinking not at all with much like intention and like focus and like you know, nothing's been written down. No plans have been made, but it did cross my mind that this might be an interesting time uh, and maybe an important time to like kind of flex those skills, you know, um, again and kind of go back um, into the, into that industry. Um, I was not in, in the infectious disease world. In fact, more on the chronic disease side of things and also like payment and policy, quality of care, kind of looking at those issues mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like communicable disease, which, you know, I remember though, like in undergrad, like that was what attracted people to public health. The idea that like every, we're all so vulnerable, right? By like health systems that are, that if, if they're not there, you know, shit hits the fan like um and there used to be a saying that like you don't know when good public health is happening because it's like a non-event so um it was kind of almost like a thankless aspect of the of the of of the healthcare industry and like um uh but anyways I, i i have it's a good question and i have been thinking about if for some reason it looks like the industry is changing so dramatically um and it may not be as sustainable for me to simply teach uh i might think about other ways that I can contribute. It's funny though, because I also feel like so much of what I love about performance is being on stage and it is being in front of people and like yeah, the, the improvisational kind of knack that's required, the, the thrill you get. In fact, that's kind of been my like, not my personal, I think, issue with social media is that so much of social media life for performing artists has as has been turn on your webcam and sing something or dance something. And mm-hmm. that's never been something that's excited me at all. Um, because it, because it, it actually takes away the kind of um, collegiality of music making or art making for me, you know, because um, you don't, no one's there, no one's around you. So it's kind of funny now that that's the way it's actually, that's the new norm. So maybe I have to start doing like a Kriti a day or something. Well, it's interesting because I had completely forgot that you had a career in public health. So I mean, a lot of what we talked about is being a musician and an artist, like finding ways to give outlets of healing um, and some sort of like solace to people through your music. But your actual old career was literally... Um, applicable to this time and finding physical ways to <laughs> give solace yeah. and solve a lot of these problems um, instead yeah. of kind of tackling them emotionally as you would be right now through some of like the stuff you're doing. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because I do think that art ultimately, you know, aside from the healing aspect of it and the entertainment aspect of it is like, I think that's where change happens because that's when you start to act at an instinctive level level you know so like you can throw up a, a, a really you know beautifully worded policy paper or academic paper at someone and be like look at the statistics you know look at um you know we, we, we social justice must happen right now <laughs> um but i actually think that like the real difficult change in terms of like you know reversing bias um 
building empathy, um, embracing differences across people, across communities, like that, that stuff is slow change, I feel. And I think art is one of the few mediums through which you can actually do that. Mm-hmm. So watching a film where you're weirdly like, I don't know, like siding with the villain instead of the hero, you know, and that makes you think, oh, okay, I didn't even know I thought that way. Or seeing someone do something that's unconventional on a stage and makes you think, okay, why did I feel uncomfortable with that? Um, oh, what are my values? You know, um, uh, collaborating with people and and getting used to being kind of out of your comfort zone. I think these are all like ways in which art actually helps you shed and transform in a, in a kind of a deeper way. And it's not, it's not an overnight thing. Right. But I, so I actually think that crisis like these, um, actually give a window, uh, an opportunity for art to kind of uh, make change. And so I'm also like, my wheels are turning in terms of like mm-hmm. how I can kind of use, uh, you know, whatever tools I have to kind of go in that direction. Um, so, so yeah, I actually think it's a very unique time to be an artist. Um, it's just a shame that we can't be in the same room. So I actually want to talk about the role of social media right now. Just to give everyone a little context, so I think there are a lot of ways that the music community, especially the Carnatic music community, is trying to keep people engaged. You see like these, um, you know, viral Instagram challenges, which I think have originated from TikTok challenges. I'm not on TikTok yet, but that's what I think. Um, And it'll be like Carnatic Anthakshri or, you know, some sort of like clinical challenge um, or, you know, just like sing your favorite song, stuff like this. And then on Facebook, you see a lot of... um, North American organizations encouraging artists to, you know, help spread like health and um, wellness or, you know, just to kind of like give people something to see and be happy about every day. And they're encouraging people to put out a song. Um, And a lot of this, I would say a lot of the participants aren't necessarily full-time musicians. So maybe it is a great way for them to have some sort of accountability, but as Rupo is alluding to, um, for those people who are full-time artists and full-time musicians, it it is interesting to be like, is this something that I have to do or should be doing in order to stay engaged with my music? Do I really think this is the best thing to do? And what, how am I allowed to make that decision? Like, is it detrimental to me if I don't participate? No, you're like hitting the nail on the head. I've literally had this exact question. <laughs> like, do I have a responsibility uh, to be engaging with people? Um, you know, and I've talked to some artists and they are starting to feel too that like, since it's their livelihood, like they want to, you know, attach their Venmo handle and ask for a donation or something mm-hmm. to support themselves. Um, so I think it's a tricky, I, I, I really feel you have to do what you feel, what feels right for you. And if, if you feel you need to ask for money, you should do it, you know, and not feel bad about that. Um, or if you feel like you have the kind of bandwidth to be able to share something uh, just to share, then I think that's okay too. Um, these are, it's, I mean, it's a great question. And I, I myself, I'm not sure um, like where I stand on all of that. Um, that's why I think to be the most kind of authentic to myself, I'm trying to start from a place of, okay, what might help me in my own kind of coping uh, and kind of journey and processing the whole thing. And if that is singing one song a day, then that's what that is. And, um, you know, and I would hope that people could, feel free to reach out and say, Hey, I want this from you. Can you think about that? You know? Um, And so I would actually say like, 
if you're looking for kind of like advice for people in terms of how they engage with artists, like talk to your art, the artist people, you know, ask them what they need. Um, so Bandcamp did a cool thing where anyone that had a, an album on Bandcamp um, would get hundred percent of the, of the sales where usually Bandcamp takes a cut mm-hmm. um, like the host of the album or whatever. So I think like there are ways that small ways um, artists can feel supported like Patreon. I have a Patreon that, um, I use for just kind of like, you know, ancillary support for myself. Um, so that's like a membership model where people can like donate a certain amount of money every month to help mm-hmm. you. Um, there's, you know, and then also like subscribing to people's channels on YouTube, listening to them on Spotify, buying their, um, you know, buying their albums, um, uh, publicizing their work, uh, talking to people and maybe seeing if you can host like a concert for them in your house or Whatever I think, like people should just be proactive in those ways, um, and, and of course, just directly asking the artists what they need. Um, I think is is a great thing. So you did a really good job of hitting on the financial aspect um, and even the emotional aspect, checking in on musicians and artists and seeing what effect this has on them. Um, and I'm wondering. So a lot of these social media posts are PR related. Um, a lot of them are, hey, come to my performance. Um, here's a throwback to my performance. Uh, here's a promotional flyer or something like that, right? So I'm wondering when you don't have performances lined up for the next six weeks or three months or five months, is it ha- is it almost like a force function to continue your social media momentum um, in order to stay relevant. I feel like in terms of social media, we always talk about relevance. Um, Are these posts, these throwbacks, whatever it might be, that substitute an actual promotion for an upcoming show? Is this like a physical reminder that I'm still here as an artist, I still exist, I'm existing through COVID, and I will still be here after COVID, and I definitely will still have performances? A friend actually said, you know, promoting my album but I feel a little funny doing it given COVID and I think it's like you can't deny the underlying kind of set sentiments like often negative you know that everyone's going through so I'm trying to be sensitive to that too Mm -hmm. um a little bit uh so you know like maybe one day it's healing one day it's entertainment one day it's like staying away one day it's strategy one day like you know I, I think um I have not figured that out for myself like what exactly my approach is to social media. Yeah, so I guess then it sounds like there's almost like a multifaceted approach to social media. Um, It's not only about promotional material, but maybe even like just as an artist and as a person having a voice and affecting one's community in a way, um, especially as someone of relevance to a specific community who has influence and who definitely um, has garnered a level of respect, you know, you have this ability to reach out to people and really be there for them in whatever way that they need. Um, it seems like social media is definitely a tool that's so versatile that maybe pivoting in a time like COVID um, to change your strategy or your approach to it is one of the best things that you could do. And, you know, there is the influencer function too, I think. Um, I'm always a little wary of that because I, I kind of get into this place of like, do I know if everything I'm seeing is factual? Like, have I checked, you know, have I checked it a thousand times? Like, do I yeah. want to be responsible? So that's kind of my own problem. But like, I think um, there is a function there too of like, if there is, you know, information that needs to be spread quickly or like, 
messages that need to be heard in a certain kind of a way, artists are in a position to, to be those um, spokespeople, you know, mm-hmm. um, they have a audience. Um, and so uh, that is another role. I think a lot of artists can play in the, in COVID-19. You know, um, I'm actually really looking forward to this moment to actually just like, you know, if I do decide to do more sharing and stuff, just like, you know, without shame and like overthinking it, just sharing music. I think at some level it's become, it's come down to that, which is kind of nice. Like, even if it's the most esoteric Kriti, you know, just, um, just singing it and putting it out there and kind of just seeing what it does for people or not. I think as much as there are so many things to think about in a way, the flip is also true that I think people, a lot of kindness is emerging and I'm seeing a lot less, of like cancel culture vibe on the internet um, where people are understanding that everyone's kind of struggling in their own way and that coping will come in many forms too. Mm-hmm. So if someone wants to just sit with their guitar and sing something and post it like, okay, you know, cool. <laughs> like in some ways that the pressure to like have it figured out, I think is there's less of that in a way too. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Rupa. Yeah. Thank you. You got me out of my uh, funk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I was able to contribute to a change of pace for the day. Um, and once again, thank you. And especially on behalf of our listeners, I'd like to say, I think it was really interesting to gain some insight and perspective on what you as an artist are going through Um and what other artists in your position and musicians in your position would be going through because, you know, being in quarantine is such a unique situation that we're all trying to grapple with right now. And the COVID-19 crisis itself is changing um, almost every day. So as that changes, you know, we need to be attuned to our community of um, Carnatic musicians and see how we can really help out. And something that you said that really stuck out to me uh, is that the biggest thing that someone could do is maybe reach out to their musician and artist friend and say, hey, do you need anything? Um, you know, is there anything I can do? Financial support, um, emotional support, just absolutely anything. And that really comes back to the idea that we're all human and we're all having these human connections with our friends and loved ones and families. So be it whether you reach out to a musician or artist specifically or a frontline worker or, you know, someone who just has a nine to five job that's working from home and adjusting to that or someone who's a stay-at-home mom or dad, you know, every single person is dealing with this in the best way um, they can. So I think that was a really kind reminder to everyone to just check in that we're all the same and we kind of need some sort of support at this time. Um, And yeah, with that said, so this was the first part of our three-part COVID-19 series where we're interviewing musicians in the United States who are full-time Carnatic artists. And please subscribe to Carnatic Conundrums on wherever you get your podcasts from, be it Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Paruvampar Kanyan